Joy, it is flu season. Flu city. Woo woo. All the viruses coming to infect people. shot i have actually for the first time this year i did not get mine this year and i have no excuse because <laughs> they give it to me for free at work well and you should actually go and get it at target because they give you a five dollar gift card <gasps> so there's a little more incentive Ooh, going to target this weekend yeah. <laughs> but the reason that people get flu shots is because the flu is a huge issue every year in the states because it leads to deaths hospitalization time and a burden to the health system in general yeah definitely i mean i'm sure like some of our listeners have even most people have gotten the flu at some point in their life it's pretty terrible yeah there was one year where i had the flu a throat infection and double pneumonia all at the same time (laughs) it was pretty horrible (laughs) yeah i was not a fan but around flu season you always hear people saying okay go get your flu shot And it's highly recommended to get the flu shot because it can help with the flu, but it's not always the most effective. And this is because the flu shots created based off of Australia's flu season. And even in those two or three months between our flu season and Australia's flu season, the virus can mutate really rapidly. That's really interesting that they base it off of Australia's flu. So does that mean their flu season happens before ours? I think it does since they are below the equator. So they can utilize, I guess, in December. Well, no. I get in the summer is when they will have their flu. And so they start looking at their flu virus and then use predictive modeling to see, okay, what are the different ways that this flu strain could mutate and change? And then they'll base the flu shot off of that. And predict- oh, so they actually predict how it might mutate. Yeah, they do. Okay. That makes sense because viruses are like mutating super rapidly. For sure. Yeah. I mean, it can happen so quickly. And that's why that's why people don't often get the flu shot because they're like, oh, well, what if it's not effective? Because a lot of times you'll see news articles after flu season be like this year's flu shot wasn't effective. But that's because it's based off of this predictive modeling. And even if the shot might not prevent you from getting the flu, you'll still have less of an immune response because your body can recognize part of the flu just from that shot. So that was one reason which made me and my husband get it this year because we're doing a lot of traveling and we thought, okay, we want to be protected and not have the risk of getting the flu. There is still a small risk with getting the flu shot that you might get the flu, but the prediction is better than not getting the flu shot at all. Right. And the... um So the flu shot actually works by using a part of your immune system that's called adaptive immunity. So you have adaptive and innate immune Mm -hmm. um, system. The innate immune system is is what you're born with. And this is kind of like a throw the spaghetti at the wall tactic. (laughs) Innate immunity will use physical, chemical, and cellular defenses that just would target any pathogen in general. And not like specifically how the flu shot caters your immune system to target in on the flu. Mm -hmm. So for the adaptive immunity, um, this kind of immunity, uh, from the name, you can tell it's adaptive, like it learns along the way. So as your body is exposed to certain viruses, it can recognize the shape of those viruses. And then your body has a sort of memory where it can file that away. um, So then it knows the next time a virus with that specific shape comes along. Um, you can more quickly target it and kill those viruses. And that's that's how the flu shot works. It's not... A lot of people will say, oh, I got the flu after getting the flu shot. 
You don't get the flu from getting the flu shot, but your body mounts a response to the inactivated form of the flu. Right, because isn't the flu shot just like empty virus? Basically. Yeah, like it's virus that can't replicate, but because they've they've given you that virus, you recognize that shape. So when you see it again, and that's why it's not perfect, because if the active virus mutates in a way that changes the shape, Mm -hmm. your body might not recognize that slightly different shape quite as well. Right. And that's why having this empty virus allows your body to get used to that virus, and then you can have that proper response when the flu comes around, assuming it looks the same. But because of these flu shot side effects, a lot of people try to do natural things to prevent themselves from getting the flu. And one of the things that I stumbled across recently was people taking vitamin D supplements and really upping their vitamin D to try and prevent themselves from getting the flu. Vitamin D, does that mean I should go tanning in October? (laughs) I mean, they do recommend, I mean, you've heard of the SAD disorder or the Seasonal affective disorder. That is totally a thing. It is. And it's all based off of not getting enough vitamin D because when the time changes, which we're recording this the day that we got, we're recording this the day that daylight savings time ends. So we got an extra hour of sleep. But part of that means that once we leave work, it's dark and kind of depressing. And this morning I was so confused because half my clocks had changed and half of them are digital. So they didn't. Oh, that's the worst. Yeah, I did have a panic attack. Not a panic attack. I did have a little panic (laughs) moment in my car because I thought we were supposed to meet, but it was like an hour early (laughs) than what we thought. A lot of what the seasonal affective disorder is, is your body just not getting enough sunlight. And the sunlight is what gives your body vitamin D. And vitamin D is what we call a fat-soluble vitamin. This means that the extra vitamin D that you have is stored in fat and it's not peed out. A lot of other vitamins you take are water-soluble vitamins. So if your body gets too much, your body will just pee out those vitamins. That's kind of why I don't take a lot of vitamins because I don't want to be paying for stuff I'm going to pee out. But vitamin D is interesting because it is fat-soluble. And this could eventually be dangerous, say, if you took too much vitamin D. You could have what's called vitamin D toxicity because this extra vitamin D actually gets stored in your fat. When our bodies are exposed to the sun, we make vitamin D. And as I kind of mentioned, in winter, people are often low in vitamin D and they'll take it in forms of a supplement to try and boost their vitamin D. And vitamin D is really important because it helps our body absorb calcium, which is crucial for bone integrity. And a lot of people will say if they're low on vitamin D that they're kind of tired, they're lethargic, they're just not functioning as well, which contributes to that seasonal affective disorder. Fun fact, as a redhead, I don't need to take vitamin D. Ooh la la. I know. (laughs) Because apparently my body can make it in low light conditions, which this kind of makes sense because red hair and sun don't really mix. Like I go out in the sun for 30 minutes and I'm sunburnt, even if I have sunscreen. You know what? I don't think brown hair and sun really mix either because sometimes my head just gets really hot. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, I guess because it's so dark. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I make my own vitamin D. I don't need any supplements. (laughs) You said vitamin D is fat soluble. So if you have more body fat, does that mean you store more vitamin D? It does. So they say oftentimes people who are heavier or have more fat, they need more vitamin D in general just because. I would think they need less. I think since it's like their body mass. Like, yeah, if if they have enough and they're storing it, then they'd be fine. But since they have more mass in general, they need more of it. Ah, to to localize. Yeah. But chronically... Americans especially have very low vitamin D levels. 
I think a lot of it has to do with just in the past hundred years, people are inside so much more often and they're not mm. like out in, out in the sun. And especially sunscreen is important because it prevents us from skin cancer. But if we have sunscreen all the time, then we don't, we're not producing vitamin D because our bodies can't convert the sun through the, through the sunscreen into vitamin D. In the olden days, actually, vitamin D was used to treat diseases that had no cure which is really fascinating. And scientists kind of hypothesized that this works because vitamin D can have a large impact on the innate immune system. And it can do this by activating antimicrobial pathways. And it's also been shown to help with the adaptive immune system. More often, it's, con- it's thought of to be involved in innate immunity. So doctors back in the 1900s would just prescribe vitamin D supplements and people would, a lot of people would get better just from that. Didn't they also used to bleed people? <laughs> Oh, yes. The lovely leeches. Because they thought, like, there was stuff wrong with their blood. And so they'd like, oh, the leeches are going to suck out the bad toxins. And also, like, bleed you dry in the process. Oops. I can't imagine. Like, that just sounds like a horror film of going to a doctor and having leeches put on you. So if you have issues with your immune system, like, I know um, people that have had cancer or people with autoimmune Mm -hmm. diseases, are there differences in vitamin D levels? There actually are. It's been shown that people with autoimmune diseases have less vitamin D. And so that's one reason that people think vitamin D is really important for your immune system because these people who have immune systems that don't work as well have less vitamin D. And that's more of a correlative thing than a causative thing. But that leads into the claim that we're kind of unpacking today. So I read this article recently from a friend and Uh, The main claim is that people with low vitamin D get more colds and flu. And so this article tried to unpack this claim and have different um, reasons backing up why people with low vitamin D get the cold and and flu. Did they look at any of those people with them? What's that disease where you're like allergic to sunlight? Not alert. You're just very sensitive to DNA damage. So you can't go in the sun. I don't think they looked at that, but that would have been really interesting because those people, yeah, probably have chronically low vitamin D. This article was interesting. Uh, It was put out by a chiropractic uh, group, but this article was put out by this chiropractic group and it's really random. Yeah. They're, they're much more focused on like holistic medicine, which I think has a place for sure. But their claim was that, okay, if you don't want to get the flu, you don't need to get the flu shot. You should just basically have a lot of vitamin D. A bold claim. It is quite a bold claim. And as you'll see when we go through the issues with this claim. (laughs) But one of the studies they had to back this up was a double-blind study. And double-blind studies are where the people getting the drug or the vitamin D in this case, they don't know that they're getting vitamin D or a placebo, and the doctors also don't know. So they gave kids either vitamin D or a placebo in this trial and found that kids with vitamin D had less cold and flu. But this is what we call a study where it's correlative. It's saying, okay, we gave kids vitamin D, they don't have as much cold or flu, so they're kind of saying it seems likely that vitamin D is affecting their ability to have cold or flu. But there's no there's no way for them to prove that in this case, and they haven't proven that. But this is the main study that this uh, this blog post says is the reason why you should have vitamin D for flu. When we as scientists read blog posts or other news sources and they have citations, a lot of time we want to 
see if the claim that they're making is backed up by the citations. And these citations can be anything from other blog posts. Most of the time, they're what we call primary literature, so really in-depth scientific studies. And when I was going through the citations for this post, they did a really good job of including all their citations and making sure to have citations at the end of each paragraph or end of each sentence. But when I actually like dug deep into the citations themselves, they didn't really support the claim that the post made. One of these citations was more of an opinion article, i.e. it doesn't have any data proving anything. Another citation was an article from the guy who's making this claim, which if you're kind of making the claim and you cite your own article, it's like a, a little biased. It is maybe. a little biased. Perhaps. Yeah. It's like a cat eating its own tail sort of thing. Like it's just very circular. I guess one of the things that like must be frustrating just as a general like member of the pe- public is that some of these citations like you might not be able to go read about them. You know, Emma and I are grad students and UNC pays for all these expensive licenses so we can read any article we want. Right. Um, but not not everybody can go into those primary sources. This is pretty disappointing to see someone making claims and, and citing something that all people might not be able to go check on. Yeah, exactly. Like you'll see when we try and cite things for Steministas, we'll... We'll include some primary literature, but also more posts that you could read that talk about that primary literature article so you can see what the claims are. But the big kicker for me with this article was one of the citations said that vitamin D activates T-cell receptors. And T-cell receptors are receptors that basically turn on the T-cells in our body, which are used in immune response. When I went and read this actual paper, which was published in a really great journal, which means that the data can be trusted and the people that are the people that reviewed this paper reviewed it well when reading the actual paper it said that there's two ways that these t-cells are activated and that humans favor more of the non-vitamin d activating pathway so basically in this blog post this chiropractic group made this claim that was not substantiated at all in the actual scientific paper so the other pathway, you say the humans use the non-vitamin D activating pathway for yes. T-cells. So is the vitamin D involved pathway more common in other species? Yeah, I think they did it in mouse cells. So they were trying oh, to compare okay. the two pathways. And normally humans and mice are really similar. But I think with immune response, it's quite a little bit different. Yeah, definitely. Especially, I mean, anything that involves like mouse respiration is really different. Their lungs, they're obligate nose breathers, so they don't... Breathe through their mouth and everything. So I know their airways are just very different. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, immune system could be too. Yeah. So this is an example where, I mean, I had to read this paper. Probably took me 30 minutes to figure out what the paper was actually saying because it was so dense. So I'm sure that that's the reason why it kind of got confused. But it's just, it's hard when you read these sort of blog posts because they sound like they're really well cited and that the sources they're using are good. But when you go and see okay, the claims that someone's making are not not validated. And even there was one of the citations, they, they cited a review article. And review articles basically summarize something in the field of science so that way you can see, okay, where is the field at? So they cited this review article in the blog post, and they also quoted it. But when I checked the citation, the quote was nowhere in the review article. So they, like, quote, I don't know where they quoted what they quoted, <laughs> or where it's from. Maybe they mixed up the references. Maybe. But that's pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. 
But a lot of the studies they they looked at were looking at vitamin D and saying that it kind of fluctuates with the weather, which we know based off of seasonal affective disorder, depression. And most of the studies they cited were these correlative studies where they say, okay, we see lower vitamin D levels and these people with lower vitamin D are more likely to get cold and flu. This is an example of an article where there's a lot of correlations and things sound right, but it may not necessarily be. And in reading about vitamin D, it can definitely help with the flu just because of that whole innate immune system, like bumping that up. But it's not going to prevent you from getting the flu, just like the flu vaccine won't completely prevent you from getting the flu. But having the flu vaccine and upping your vitamin D levels, that's a really great bet to like try and prime your immune system for this flu season. But I think overall, we just want you to realize that a lot of when you read these sort of articles, go and see what their citations say and do a little digging yourself. Yeah, especially when when it's about your health. I mean, it's just so disappointing to me to to see someone writing an article about like something that can affect you and your daily life and your health. And it's just so poorly cited. Yeah, because I mean, these are the sort of articles that come up when you Google something. I mean, I do it all the time. I Google something. Well, and I'll see, okay, do I have the symptoms of this thing? Tell me what it means. I want to know how do I exercise better. Yeah, and you only have so much time. I mean, some of this stuff I'm, like, reading on the bus, and I don't have time to click on every citation right. and look at everything. So, Just be skeptical and don't have sloppy science. <laughs> no sloppy science. <laughs>